Thanks, Juliet. Good morning, church. Good morning, those of you who are joining us online. Uh, I have to say for those in the room, uh, one of the things I enjoy most from this vantage point is just, well, looking at you all. And those who are joining us online, well, you can only imagine what we're imagining for you in your living rooms, in your kitchens, whatever day it is of the week. Uh, God loves variety. And I think that's why I enjoy looking at the gathered people. Uh, no two are alike. That's the same as creation, isn't it? There are no two trees alike, no two plants that are alike, no two animals that are the same, and certainly every human being is different. There is nobody like you in the entire world. It's a creative masterstroke by God. God never makes copies of anything. There are no two things that are exactly alike. God makes everything and original. Did you know that in one cubic inch of snow, <laughs> remember snow? We used to have snow this time of year, didn't we? In one cubic inch of snow, there are 18 million snowflakes, and no two of them are the same. That's creative overkill, but that's God. God could have made us all alike, could have just rolled us off the conveyor belt, mass-produced human beings all looking the same, talking the same, speaking the same, same color, same hair, but oh, how dull the world would be. God didn't do that. Why? Because he knows, as we know, that an original is always so much more valuable than a copy. You are worth far more as the original you than you would ever be as a copy of someone else. That's what God says of you. You are you're a person of value, created by God. Jesus died for you. God's spirit resides in you. That's, that's how much you matter to him. And the Bible is very clear that God specifically shaped every human being, customized you. There's nobody like you in the world. You are unique. You're not one in a million. You are, in fact, one in whatever the number is, eight billion. I think it's about eight billion right now on planet Earth. You are one in eight billion. Everything an original. Well, we're starting a new series, as, uh, as you've heard already. We're talking not just about how God has shaped you, but why God has shaped you. Why did God make you to be you? Uh, if you have your Bibles with you or if you use an app, you're going to, going to want to keep them open, at least for the first half of the sermon, because we're going to do some underlining and some circling and, and just some study of this topic, which is actually very common in the Bible, is a persistent theme throughout the Bible, how God has shaped and designed his people. Let's start back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, it says this, God shaped man from the soil of the ground and blew the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. I want you to underline the word shaped. Will you do that? God shaped man. That word is used throughout the Bible as a reflection of one of the great truths of creation, that, that God custom-designed the world. Psalm 139 that Juliet read for us says, and again, you want to have your, your highlighter out for this. It says, God, you made my whole being. Circle the word made. You formed me in my mother's body. Circle the word formed. You saw my bones being formed. In other words, inside 
my mother's womb, as I took shape, you shaped me where I was put together. God put you together. You can circle that. You were put together. All of the days have been planned for me. God planned you. He planned you in advance. They were all planned before you were even one day old. So notice what it says. God made you. God formed you. God saw you. God shaped you. God put you together. God planned out the days of your life before day one ever happened. By the way, that's, that's why so many Christians struggle with the prevalence of abortion in society. Because abortion short-circuits a human being that God planned from creation, from the foundation of the world. I mean, you may have heard this before, that there, are no, that there may be accidental parents, but there, there are no accidental children. You're not an accident. I was an accident. My, my parents told me I was an accident. I think I was a happy accident. They were married, but I was not planned. Uh, there may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. Your parents may not have planned for you, but God planned for you. So look at the truths that, that come in Scripture. Truths like these ones. Job, Job 10. Job 10, verse 8. Your hands formed me, and they shaped me. You know that? That you were handmade by God? Handcrafted? You didn't roll off an assembly line that God was intricately and intimately involved in the specifics of creating you? What does it mean? You're not an accident. It means that God was responsible for the details of your life. Uh, It probably means he's responsible for some of the things about you that you may have trouble accepting. Stuff that you might consider to be a weakness, and yet that was part of his design in your life. And then after God made you, he put those plans aside, and he never used them again. You're not going to find anybody with the exact combination of personality and experience and everything that God has made you that makes you. And why does God go to all that trouble? Because you're an original. And that's God's idea. Now, the problem is this. Actually, there's two problems. The first problem is that most people don't like what God made because they don't like the way that they are. And they're always thinking, if I were just a little bit taller or a little bit smaller, a little bit thinner, if I had red hair, brown hair, black hair, a different complexion, I don't like my nose. Can you do something about that? Just shave it off a little bit. I don't like my teeth. I wish I had more talent. Why couldn't I be like her? Or I want to be just a little bit like him. We don't accept ourselves. We're always comparing ourselves to other people rather than accepting who God made us to be. And when you do that, it causes all kinds of problems in life. Most people don't accept themselves and it leads to a frustrating, discouraging way of living. The second thing is, not only do we have trouble accepting what God has made, uh, we cast it aside and we, we aspire to be something that we're not. We want to be like somebody else. We say, listen, if I can wear those $300 shoes that my favorite athlete wears, maybe I'll be a little bit like them. If I dress like her, maybe people will assume that I am like her. If I make money like they did, maybe they'll assume that we have the same set of skills that are at work in their life. I've got to do what she did to succeed. I've got to please my parents. All these things. People start out as originals, 
And they try and turn themselves into copies. And it's a, it's a tragedy. Because if, if you're not going to be you, what you really wind up doing is just taking somebody else's spot. And that one's already filled. And the world never gets to see what God designed because he only made one of you. God says, I made you, I shaped you, I designed you. About 30 years ago, a church in the southern United States came up with a little acrostic to talk about the things that make you, you. It kind of spread across the landscape of the church in North America and beyond. And, and you've probably run across it before. In case you forget, we, we put it right here on the wall. And you've heard it already. The, the acrostic, the acronym is the word Shape. Your shape influences every aspect of your life. And I don't mean your physical shape, though I guess that's part of it. We're all getting into shape. But we mean more than just what we do at the gym by that. Your shape will determine what you focus on in school and maybe what you should avoid. For some of you, it might have been a big help to know a little bit more about your shape before you spent a whole lot of money on tuition to discover you were happier working at McDonald's. Your shape determines what kind of friends you will cultivate and the kind of people that gravitate towards you, the kind of person that you will likely marry, the temptations that you will be most susceptible to. Your shape determines why some things frustrate you, but they don't frustrate those who are around you. You're shaped differently. Your shape will determine the best work environment for you, the best ministry opportunity for you. It will sort of guide you in understanding why some things in your life are set up for failure and other things are bound to succeed. And so in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at many of these different things. And, and as we do, I hope you come to, to understand not only how God made you, but why. And in doing that, maybe you find that your stress goes down a little bit. Your satisfaction goes up a little bit. Your sense of esteem, good, healthy, God-informed esteem about what God has made, that that goes up. That it increases your chance of, of success in the world. Because when you're working in the area of your shape, you just have that, that feeling. You, you know, you felt it, right? Like, this is why I am. This is what I was meant to be. I'm doing what I was designed to be doing. When you get it right, you know it. It just it sits right in your life. And when you get it wrong, there's just this agitation, this dissatisfaction, anxiety, worry. In fact, to be really honest with you, over the next six weeks, some of you are going to realize I'm in the wrong job. Really. Uh, I'm volunteering in in the wrong areas of of life, of work, of church. We've done a series like this before, about four and a half years ago. I had people in my office saying, I'm in the wrong job. And, and we talked about it and we said, yeah, you are in the wrong job. And they had to change jobs. And that wasn't easy. And as a pastor, I found myself saying, yeah, you need to change it and we'll support you. We'll pray with you through that. But life is too short to waste it on things that don't reflect who God made you to be. And so you may need to make some changes in your life. This morning as we start the series, we're just going to ask three questions. First, what does it mean, shape? Let's unpack the acronym. Uh, we're going to fast forward through a description of each of the five elements of what makes you, you. 
Then we're going to ask the all-important question that you should always ask when you come to church. Why does it matter? I mean, why should I care? And then third, because it does matter, because we do care, what do we do now? How do we respond? Let's start with the acronym. What does the word SHAPE mean? I mean, it refers in a, in a larger sense to your design. What is the shape of something? The Bible says, Ephesians 2, verse 10, that you are a masterpiece of God. You are God's workmanship. You are shaped by him. But there are days in your life and there are days in mine when you feel anything but a masterpiece, right? You wake up in the morning, you, you, you wipe the steam off the mirror after getting into the shower, and you don't say, ha, masterpiece. No, <laughs> it doesn't. But God says that, in fact, you are the workmanship of the divine. And you were designed to make a difference, an impact in the world and in the kingdom. So how do you figure out the difference that you were designed to make? Well, you start with your design. And that's the word shape. Each letter standing for something different. The S in shape stands for, you heard it once this morning, anybody remember? Spiritual gifts. Thank you. Spiritual gifts. The Bible says that among the many things that happens to you when Jesus Christ takes up residence in a human life is that there are these endowments that get released, these gifts of God, spiritual gifts. Not boasty things, look at me, superstar Christian, but, but useful things, useful in the work of God in the world, useful for building up the church, spiritual gifts. And like any gift, you have to take the time to unwrap it. But when you unwrap it, when you understand it, when you put it to use, ah, that's when the good stuff happens. There's about 20 of these different spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. Each one of us may carry one or two or, or, or many of them. And that list of 20 is probably not exhaustive. Just an illustration of these are the kind of things that God seeds into the lives of his people so they can be effective in the work that God has for us. We want you to understand how God has gifted you and what that means for you in the world. So that's the S, spiritual gifts. The H stands for heart. Yeah, this is your passion. What are you excited about? What puts the quiver in your liver? People say that anymore. I don't think people say that anymore. What is the thing that, that gets you excited when you get out of bed in the morning? There are certain things that you're passionate about, and there will be things that you are absolutely not passionate about. So part of the unwrapping of you is discovering, again, for sometimes it's been a long time since we've really asked the question, what are you fired up about? We want to help unlock in you the passion for God's glory reflected in your life. We're going to do that through the series. Spiritual gifts and heart. The A stands for ability. What are the natural abilities that you have? The difference between natural abilities and spiritual gifts, natural abilities, they're there from the beginning. They may be dormant, they may be latent, but you see them. Those of you who have parented kids, you begin to see their abilities emerge very on. And some of them get nurtured and they become just full out amazing. But your abilities, you have five, six, seven hundred of them. I don't want you to think you have just a few. And we would love to help you raise some of them up to the top so you can claim them and use them for God's glory in significant ways as you understand your purpose. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities. The P in shape stands for personality. And here's where you really get to that question, how has God made me? Because we all navigate life differently. And that's a reflection of 
our personality. By and large, the fundamentals of your personality do not change. Who you were when your mom and dad first held you in their arms is who you are when you go to the grave. The fundamentals of your personality are like God's blueprint in your life. Some of you in this room, you're very competitive. Others are very cooperative. Some of you are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Some really expressive in working with other people. Some are a lot more reserved. Some of us in the, in the room, we just, we love the variety. All of us talk about variety is wonderful. Other of us, we like routine. Right? Some of you come Sunday by Sunday and say, ah, the service, it's predictable. I love that. We're going to sing three songs. Service, we'll sing a couple more songs. There'll be a scripture and a prayer and a sermon. It'll go on too long. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, but there's other people who say, why don't they mix it up a little bit? It's the same everywhere. We want variety. We want, you know. How has God wired you? Don't try to be an extrovert if God made you an introvert. Just be the best introvert that you can be. Because God loves introverts more. Maybe not. <laughs> the E in the acronym SHAPE stands for experiences. We have all kinds of them in our lives. And it doesn't matter whether you were raised in that picture-perfect postcard of a family, or maybe, tragically, your family were more like an episode of American Horror Story. God can use it. He can and he wants to. The positive and the painful. For years, there were experiences in my life that I just kind of walled off and didn't talk about. No way God uses stuff like this. And finally, I reached a moment where through the wise counsel of others, I began letting people get little glimpses of this part of my life. The weaknesses, the areas of of struggle, the, the brokenness. And Boy, there are opportunities there in relationship, in life, in ministry that only present themselves when you begin to use everything, all of the experiences of your life. There is no event in life, no matter how tragic, that God cannot redeem and use for his purposes. But the bottom line is this. You're made by God to make a difference for God. And so we jump into this series, I'm excited about this, with both feet, and we take everything with us. My challenge would be that you give yourself permission at the beginning to see yourself as the masterpiece that God designed you to be. And that's hard. Uh, if, if you cannot be the person that God made you to be. There's going to be this hole in the history of the world, a place that you were meant to occupy, that you alone are able to fill. And I think that would be tragic for you and for us and for God who made you. Why should I care? So God made me unique, nobody else like me, but I'm uniquely useless, uniquely dull, ungifted, unimportant. Over the next five, six weeks, I may discover my shape, but why does it matter? There are lots of reasons that we could offer up by, uh, in response to that, but I'm, I want to give you three. 
just quickly. First, understanding your shape, I think, is the best way of understanding God's will for your life. And for how many of us is that not an ongoing question? What does God want? What does he want with me? What does he want with the world? What does he want in this generation? What is God's will and purpose for my life? The better you understand how God made you, the more you will understand why God made you. Architects have a phrase for this. They say form follows function. All architects know that. Form follows function. What it means is you tell me what the building will be used for, and then I will tell you how to design it, what it should look like. If you want it to be a church, if it's going to function as a church, well, we'll design it this way. If it's going to be a cafeteria or restaurant, we'll design it that way. Form follows function. With human beings, it turns out that it's the exact opposite. In human beings, function follows form. In other words, you figure out how God formed you, how he shaped you, and you will begin to understand your function. What is the purpose God has in your life? Figure out how he formed you, and you'll begin to unpack his will. So if I begin to understand how God has wired me up, I think I will get probably one of the most solid clues you can find about what he expects you to do. Because I don't think God is going to give you gifts and heart and ability, personality and experiences that are all over here and say, but I want you to be engaged in the world over here in an area that just does not fit, leaves you disconnected and unsettled. I hate this, I'm bad at it, but God wants me to do it. So, no, it doesn't work that way. You're good at something, and that's a pretty good indication that that is in the area where God wants you to be at work. God says this to to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. Before you were even born, God had stuff in mind. So you understand, you want to understand God's will, understand your shape. Here's the second thing. Not only does, does your shape reveal God's purpose for you, it also equips you to serve him better. God equips you through your shape. The Bible says this, Isaiah 49, God formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, and then he commissioned me. God has mission for you and I. Mission isn't something just given to missionaries who we send abroad. It's, it's given to all of us. I made you, I shaped you, and I've given you a mission. Nobody else will really know what it is, but God is going to reveal it through you. So, your shape understands God's will. It reveals the mission that he has for you. And here's the third one. And I don't want to pass over this without, without acknowledging just how, how really mind-bending this is. Your shape allows you to capture and reflect something of the glory of God. Think about that for a second. That you were designed to be a glory reflector. That human beings, frail and limited as we, be, as we are, can capture and reflect something of the glory and majesty of God to the world. Irenaeus, a great Christian thinker and leader from the first century, has this very famous quote. He said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. 
I love that. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's our desire as a church, to present people fully alive in Christ, glory reflectors. Everything, everything that's good in the world has been given by God for his purposes in a way that can reflect his glory. You know, Satan, for for all of his mischievous deviousness, has never succeeded in creating anything. All Satan's ever able to do is to take the good things God made and twist them. So you think about the ones that the church loves to harp on, and and we want to be able to say in the face of all the harping, these are good things. Sex is a great thing. Yay, God. What? Anybody else? Amen. Sex is a good idea. Thank you, God, for that. It's beautiful, and it gives glory to God when it's offered up in the context of the committed union between a husband and a wife. That's what I made them to do. This is reflecting my glory in them. But it can be misused. That's just about anything that God has given can be misused. And it can have tragic, painful consequences in people's lives. Money can be used to bring glory to God when it's used wisely. But when it's misused or abused, it brings dishonor. Time. Uh, Time can be used in such beautiful ways. Investing the lives of people, honoring God. But boy, can it be wasted, right? Frittered away. Doesn't bring any honor. Everything in life can be used or it can be abused. But it's all a gift from God. Use it or neglect it. What about people? When people fulfill their purpose, they bring glory to God. But here's the problem. As human beings, we don't think like God. And so we have a tendency to believe that it's the smart people, the beautiful people, the gifted people. They bring the most glory. They're the ones who are worth it. The rest of us, not that bright, not that important, not worth as much. Wrong. Where does it say anything remotely like that in the Bible? That God loves these people so much more than these people. These people are worth so much more. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus for the important, wealthy, prosperous, successful people. And the rest of them, well, you know, never mind. Whether it feels like you're contributing in some giant way or in some smaller way, or maybe you're sick and you feel like you're not contributing at all, you have the same value in the eyes of God. God says, I made you. I made you for my benefit, not for the opinion of other people. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Some of you need to hear these words. Bring me all the people who are mine, whom I made for my glory. Circle those words. I made you for my glory. You were made for the glory of God. That's why you're alive. God made you and enjoys you. He loves watching you. It brings a smile to his face and glory to his name. All life is sacred. I mean, it's that mentality that says some lives are more important than others. Some are more glorious than others. It's led to the greatest evils in the world. From the Holocaust of World War I to the genocide in Rwanda, the mentality that some people matter more than others is a gross perversion of the truth of God's creation. Infinite variety. 
and abundant love. You're valuable. No matter who you are. What is shape? Why should I care? Let me just say a couple of words about where we go from here. How do we respond? You can't build your shape or develop your shape or use your shape and, until you respond first by doing these three things. The first is acceptance. Acceptance means we believe that God, being God, that God knows what's best. God made me, and when he made me, he knew what he was doing. It comes down to a matter of trust, doesn't it? Do I believe that God made a mistake when he made me? Oh, I trust and know that he has a plan for my life. What is it that I believe? Because actually when you say, I don't think I really like myself, one of your things you're saying without realizing it perhaps is that God, you blew it when it came to me. You made a mistake. Everybody else is fine, but you goofed on me. And when you reject yourself, in essence, you're also rejecting God because he's your creator and you're not accepting something that he made and it's a kind of rebellion. I'm not talking about sin here. We all reject sin. But when you reject the person that God made, that's active rebellion. And in the face of that, God says, I made you to be you. I need you to be you. With your strengths and your weaknesses, both of them will bring glory to me. And you'd be surprised how often the weaknesses bring glory more often than the strengths. If you'll just start doing the things I made you to do instead of trying to be like everyone else or running yourself down. The Bible says this in Romans 9 verse 20. It says, my friend, I ask, who do you think you are to question God? Does the clay have the right to ask the potter why he shaped it the way he did? The answer is, of course not. Whenever we doubt God's love, whenever we doubt God's wisdom, we always get into trouble. Job 10.10, you guided my conception. You formed me in the womb. He wanted you alive. You know that, right? God wants you alive in this moment, in this generation, in this year, 2023. You are here And there are no accidents in that truth. He wanted you. He loves you. The first step is acceptance. Nothing else we talk about over the next six weeks is going to have any impact if it doesn't start with accepting what God has made. Here's the second. Salvation. Remember I said this this is not so much about sin as it is about God's design, but sin gets in there and wrecks God's design. So we need to address that. The second thing after acceptance is salvation. Salvation means I receive God's love. I receive it as a way of addressing the areas of God's design in my life that have been distorted through sin. Psalm 119, verse 41. Let your love, God, shape my life with salvation exactly as you promise. You are loved by God. The cross proves it. Jesus Christ died for you and he loves you and he says, I made you and now I've saved you and I have a plan for you and I have a home for you and you can just come follow me into that. Acceptance and salvation. And here's the third thing and we'll end on this note. I think for many of us, there is an amount of refocusing that's going to need to happen here. To refocus, to develop what's inside of us instead of focusing always and persistently on what's 
outside. And that's a hard shift. Because as a society, we are very outward oriented. We are very appearance oriented. It's in every television show, magazine, newspaper article, movie. People spend millions, probably billions of dollars on curating outward appearances. Spa treatments and and makeup and going to the gym. And I'm not against looking good. But but there's so much more to you than just that. So we're going to refocus on some things that are inward and real and true. First Samuel 16, verse 7. Listen to what God says. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Human beings look at outward appearances. The Lord looks at the heart. So that's what we're going to do for six weeks. We're going to focus on developing what's inside of us. And there is so much material here to cover. We couldn't possibly do it on Sunday mornings alone. So we're doing, alongside the Sunday teachings, a small group experience on Tuesday nights here in this room, 7 o'clock p.m. I hope you'll come. And we'll set it up differently. We'll make it warm and welcoming for small groups to gather. If you're part of a small group and your group is coming, you'll, you'll sit together in your small groups for that activity, for that teaching, so you can process it together. If you're not part of a small group, come anyway. We'll find you one. Maybe it won't be so small once you get there. It'll be good. But we're going to spend the time understanding the different facets and aspects of what makes you, you. And I'm going to tell you something at the beginning. Uh, just a couple of caveats. Here's the first. I, I think Satan is probably going to do everything he can to keep you out of church for the next five weeks. Don't let him win. Honestly, don't let him win on this. Try and be here for the next six weeks. If you can't be here, uh, just mcbc.org. All the messages are there online. You can watch them. You can podcast them. You can listen to them in your car. If you get into a crash, it's not my fault. Um, This is explosive material. It will change your life. I don't want you to miss it. I think God will use this in in profound ways in your life and in our life together as a church. Here's the second thing. Maybe some of you know somebody in your life, a colleague at work, a neighbor, a friend, somebody who's really struggling. I mean, you can just see they're not in a good place, insecure, uh, just a, a crushing sense of, low self-esteem, no worth, no confidence. I think this would be a great series to bring people to. I promise it's not going to be overly churchy, and it'll be of infinite personal value for them, and it'll be rooted in God. But our goal for, for you and for them in this series is to help you become confident in who God made you to be. Confidence is not a bad thing, as long as it's rooted properly. I want you to be confident in who God made you to be. I don't know a lot of confident people, actually, in the world. Most of us, myself included, are, are, are using confidence as a mask over insecurity. I want you to be confident people. When you know your shape, when you can say, this is how God made me to be, and I like who God made me to be, and if you don't like it, that's your problem. <laughs> we want to help you to become a more confident man, a confident woman, and our goal at the end of the series is that you will be able to say, as the Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Will you say that with me? By the grace of God, I am what I am.
I pray that it may be so. In fact, let me pray for you now. Father, I know that there are people here in the service today and we're watching online. And this has struck a tender chord in their life. Maybe they've never really accepted themselves. And there are parts of their life, the way they look, the way they act, their talents or something in their background, that they look on with such disdain. They've rejected themselves. God, help them to take those first steps towards healing this morning. And if that's you, I invite you to pray with me. You can just say this in your heart. You say, dear God, dear God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the ways that I failed to accept me for me. Because I realize today that means at some level I haven't accepted you. So I ask you to forgive me. I believe, Lord, that you have made me for a purpose. Thank you, Lord, for loving me, for creating me and making me an original that's worthy and worthwhile and lovable. Lord, I accept that. I accept how you made me and I receive your love. And beyond acceptance, maybe there are a few here who have never fully accepted God's gift of salvation. And if that's you, maybe you want to pray this with me. Jesus Christ, I'm accepting you into my life. I'm accepting your love. I want to follow you. I want to follow your purposes. I want to learn from you. Help me develop what's on the inside of me. Help me in the weeks ahead to discover my shape so that I can know your purposes for my life. I can serve you better and I can show you glory. I want my life, Lord, to bring a smile to your face. Thank you for loving me. I want to learn to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray.